series called What's Your Love Story? And, uh, and so last week we had Diana share. I didn't know any of Diana's story before she shared, and it was an incredible picture of God's love and, and how he created that pursuit of her from, from birth. Um, Diana, if you weren't here or didn't hear, Diana shared that she was born with some illnesses, a club foot that kept her in the hospital. Um, then she got sick, very sick in the hospital and almost died. And there was a nurse there that was praying for her. And when she went back a little bit later in her life, um, that nurse had said that she had prayed for her every day since, since she left the hospital. And so we talked about the pursuit. And so what I think, and don't quote me on this because I don't know for sure, but I believe that God, every time I think of what's your love story, I think of a movement. Um, that this isn't just who we feel. Like we're going we're gonna to really live on what's your love story. And um, we talked about it before in a different way. We talked about the power of testimony. And that's really what this is, is the power of testimony. Um, last week, we also, Bonnie shared her story of how her legs were healed, um, which is incredible. And this week, I've got someone else going to share here in just a minute um, their story. And don't be surprised if next week, one of you gets a call to share their story. And we're going to continue sharing our love story of, of what Jesus did for us. Um, and... And what, what we talked about last week that I want to remind you of before we really get into to this is that all of this kind of sparked from the song Reckless Love. Um, last week, I had been listening to it over and over and over and just how there's, there's nothing that God won't do to get to us. And, and then we showed a video that was the majority of the service last week um, of a man who, Todd White, was in Rome, if you remember. He was in Rome. There was a riot going on in the streets, and he did what only Todd White would do and say, I'm going to get right in the middle of that. And so he gets right in the middle of all these college-age students, and he turns back to the camera. It's my favorite line in the whole film. And he says, he says I'm going to just touch as many people as I can. And so they're walking through angry and chanting, and he's just like, praying for everyone as he walks through, which is amazing. And he runs into this guy named, I think, Enrique or Eduardo or Kevin or something. And, <laughs> and they have this conversation. They have this, this connection. And then that night they go to bed. Todd White has a dream that validated a dream from months prior um, that they needed to go to the catacombs. So they went to the, they took buses and did all this stuff and they got to where they needed to be, and they got off, and that young man was at that bus stop. And so what, what God did was spared no expense. He spared, spared no inconvenience, because it was inconvenient to get to the catacombs, so they weren't going to do it. And he, he spared nothing to reach the one. And, and see, he didn't accept Jesus that day, and I love Todd White's answer to that as well, is I'm just watering a seed. I don't have to go for the jugular. And God brings the, the, the growth. God brings the, the, the salvation. And he wasn't ready yet, and that's okay. But that kid has to live with the fact that that was the beginning of his love story. And so I asked Chrissy if she would come up and share her, her story today. 
So I'm going to have her do that. Do it. First off, I really want to um, thank Marla for the effect of the lives that I have changed. Um, I started to, was gonna, when Mike first asked me, I was going to talk when I was about 32. Big outpouring. <laughs> but I decided, if I decided or God, but I took me back to 57 years ago. I, um, my sister had a, Sunday, a teacher in school that invited her, and this was first grade, invited her to go to Sunday school. My mother wouldn't let her go alone, so I got to go with her. It was a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, and that's where my walk started. And at age 12, I got baptized. Then I worked in the training union and kindergarten. Then about 15, my mom had gone through her third divorce. And we moved to another side of town. And I came from, my mother was married to numerous <laughs> alcoholics. And so there was, you went through a lot. You went through, I saw my mother rape. I saw children beaten. My little brother, when he was two weeks old, got a bed turned over on top of him um, because my mother had called the bar looking for her husband. He got mad. So at that point, I became Donnie's mother. He got moved into my room, you know. But through that, at 15, I, I didn't get to go back to church, you know, and then I found boys. <laughs> You know, and you get distracted, and you forget about your walk. You, you're just not as committed, and it's easier to say, oh, I'm not going to go today. <laughs> and so I didn't. At 18, I got married. At 20, I was almost 21 when I got pregnant with my son, Jason, and uh, my husband at the time. Uh, decided he wanted drugs more than he wanted a son. All I wanted to do was wipe him out. <laughs> so at three months pregnant, I went home to my mother down in Southern California and uh, had Jason and, and that that brought me back up because I got my jo old job back and I moved back to San Luis Obispo and turned around and, and uh, met another man and got married. <laughs> Two years into the relationship, I had my daughter. And uh, during that time, it was Jenny was about four and a half when my husband fell in love with her rather. So at that point, well, I hadn't found God yet. I mean, I knew God, but I hadn't drawn him back. 
future. And um, that ended in divorce. And a couple years later, I met another man. And I came down with cancer. And I had cervical cancer and I had to have surgery. I put off marrying because I didn't want to be stuck with somebody that was a nutcase after having kids. You know, you hear that rumor that you just don't you're nuts. <laughs> anyway, and I don't know that I'm not, but <laughs> uh, anyway, we eventually got married, and that lasted for eight years until one day my son went to his stepsister and asked her why dad was playing with him. So once again, I had to make a decision. And we got divorced. <laughs> Kids and I stayed in the house for a while. And then uh, I began to feel no self-worth. <laughs> you know, I couldn't do anything. And I questioned God as to why I couldn't have love in my life. <laughs> and at that point, I put my And I went in the bathroom, and I was going to cut my wrist. And I cried out to God, and I heard a voice. And at 32, <laughs> he said, do you really want your children to think they had done something cause this. At that point, I dropped the razor blade. I picked up my Bible that I had in Maplebeck dust. They're in the bookcases. It's the one I'd gotten when I was baptized in And I picked it back up. And then about two years later, I mean, I was waiting for God this time. I wasn't praying. You know, I didn't in my life. I didn't want to. And uh, then walked in dead. <laughs> and uh, God dropped in my spirit. It's the man you're going to marry. Well, I couldn't. I thought, no. And I just, I'd never been Pentecostal. And it's like I was being filled with the spirit and ready to pass out were at work, and she goes, what's wrong? And I said, I just saw the man in my He didn't know me, and I didn't know him. Customer. <laughs> and uh, married for 18 years. And I'm not saying they weren't without problems. <laughs> but then in 2001, two days before 9-11, I went down to turn off the TV, and he was laying in his chair. For seven years, I was alone, and with the help of this church, Red and Fred, Ma and Pa, as I call them, they got me through. And then the Lord brought <laughs> into my life, because I'd been crying out to God because I had the home and acreage, and I thought, God, it's a shame that I have so much, you know. 
don't have something to share. And it just happened, you know. But truth is, I'm able to give a testimony that I haven't made. And people get bits and pieces. But they don't face all their they don't face all the judgments. And then I have a husband that says, it's what it was. This is now. You know. And that's exactly what God's saying. And the song that dropped in my heart that I know my song is through it all. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, I've learned to trust his word. That was good. See, I purposefully don't get your stories ahead of time because I want to hear them. And I want to hear them. You know what I mean? I mean, I got a little bit, but but not much. And so far, it's just been Diana and Chrissy. But from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing your story. I know that sometimes it's hard. You too. Love you, Marla. I know that sometimes it's hard. I know that there is the fear of judgment. There is the fear of is somebody going to say something? Is someone going to look at me different? Let me just address that right now, okay? No, you're not. You, in, this, in this place, when someone shares their love story, this is a safe place to do that. And I just want to address it now so everybody hears, and I will probably address it every week as we do this. If I get word that you've confronted someone in an ugly way about their, their testimony, about their love story, I'm going to ask you to leave. This is a safe place for people to share their story, to be who they are, to be vulnerable. I have a very vulnerable story. I'm going to share a little bit of it today. And in that story, I've had both very positive and very, very negative things happen. And we're not going to do that. It's just not going to be a, a place that does that. So thank you, both of you. So last week, and I want to go over it again for this front row. Um, last week, we, uh -huh, we discussed a good love story, a good love story like a movie. We want a couple of things. The first thing we want is we want a couple to meet and fall in love. Yeah? And then we want turmoil. We want something in the relationship to go horribly wrong. Someone has to go to war. Someone has to move across the country for a job. Somebody has amnesia. Somebody almost dies. Whatever it is, we want some conflict, and then we want pursuit. We want one person to go after the other person. Why? Because that is the makings of an amazing love story. When somebody is willing to put aside everything that they have to go after the one that they love, makes an amazing love story. I think of movies like The Notebook. I think of movies like, we talked about 50 First Dates. 
Yeah, there's lots of them. 51st, I'm on a roll, so don't interrupt me. Uh, 51st Dates, I, I, which is a funny love story. I think of all kinds of movies where there's a pursuit. And that pursuit is where we fall in love with the characters. We don't f- necessarily fall in love with the characters when everyone else falls in love with the, when the person on the TV falls in love. We fall in love when they go the extra mile. So, I'm making it past page one. That's as far as we made it last week. So, I was listening to Reckless Love, and, and God just spoke this word to me of what's your love story. And I was like, well, I don't know. What is my love story? Because we have a misconception in, in the church about testimony. And what we think is that we have to focus in on, I was a drug addict. I was, um, I slept around. I did this. I did that. We focus in on the negative instead of just highlight the negative and get to what God did because we think that we need to build credibility with our testimony. But all the negative is just, here's where I was, and now let me tell you about the pursuit. That's what a testimony is. What these two shared is what a testimony is. So I thought about what's, what's your love story, and I thought about it for several days, and I asked myself questions like, how did God pursue me? What did he do to win me over? Because, right, we need love story. We need to be won over. And then back to reckless love, and, and I wrote down, what shadows did he light up? What mountains did he climb up to come after? What wall did he kick down? What lie did he tear down to come after me? And so I started thinking about stories. You guys mind if I tell my story? So when I was four or five, I don't remember this, um, I was sitting in the front seat of my grandparents' car because that's what we did back then. And actually, from what I understand, I wasn't sitting. I was standing while Grandma was driving. Um, And I said to Grandma, or I said to Mom, I'm very fuzzy on who I was talking to. I've heard this story a thousand times, but I don't know who said it. I said, I miss Jesus. And whatever female figure in my life was present said, what do you mean, honey? And and I said, I miss being in heaven with Jesus. So, I don't even mean like as a parent as a grandparent what does that even mean and then fast forward a couple of years and if you've ever been to my grandparents peck house they've got these concrete steps that are ridiculously long and so it's really uncomfortable to move down them i remember that from a little kid with short legs shorter legs i i have freakishly short legs now but shorter legs and i remember coming home from school and i was not missed popular in school Um, Kids are mean, and I was fat, so it was not a good combination. And we were not very well off, so I I pretty much lived in sweatpants, which now, if only I could do that, right? But then it was not cool to wear sweatpants to school. And uh, and so I didn't have a lot of friends. I had a couple friends. and, And again, this is a very distant memory for me. So this is stuff that's, some of this is what's been passed on to me from, from my grandparents. Um, I would walk around outside their, their house 
there's the big tree and then grandpa's garden with the plum trees and the, the pump house and all of that down here. And I'd walk around in there and I would talk and my grandparents thought, oh, how cute, he has an imaginary friend, which I'm thinking, they thought it was cute? It's, first of all, it's creepy. Second of all, I had an imaginary friend because I didn't have any live ones. So my grandparents asked me one day, what's your imaginary friend's name? And I said, what imaginary friend? And they said, well, every day you come over and you talk while you're walking around to somebody. And I said, oh, well, I'm talking to Jesus. But I remember talking, talking to Jesus because he was right there. I remember telling him about my day. I remember telling him about the kids that would pick on me. I remember telling him and him being my friend. Not, not in the sense of I come over to the church and pray, but in the sense of he tapped me on the shoulder and said, do you know, want to know what they're doing? If you were in Sunday school this morning, you understand that reference. If you weren't, sorry about that, Shaylee. Um, I remember walking and talking with him. I remember telling a story about, or being told a story that my, my mom, she just retold the story the other day that, and she told me this all growing up. So I, I've heard this a thousand times. She was always very worried about my sister and how my sister would turn out and what would happen with my sister and was she going to follow the Lord and what's going to happen. And one day she was holding me. I was a baby. And God said to her, this is the one you need to worry about. And that night she had a dream that she was holding me on our property and there was a snake that kept jumping up and trying to bite me and she kept having to stomp on the snake's, the snake's head and she would shift and then the snake would try to bite. And, she, and so there, was, there were things happening in the spirit from infancy to about seven years old. And I don't know what happened at seven or eight that things started going the other direction, but every good love story needs a conflict, doesn't it? So in junior high, I decided that well, I didn't really decide. It was just kind of spur of the moment. I had a friend. Remember, I haven't had a lot of friends, and I had a friend, and we wanted to just hang out one summer. So we spent pretty much every day hanging out. And then we decided, you know what? Peck is boring. Let's break into houses. I've never shared this publicly. So, so we did. We started breaking into houses. And uh, we got caught. I came home, and there was a car in the, in the driveway that I did not recognize. In hindsight, if the license plate says NPSO, you need to just leave, because that's Nespers County Sheriff's Office. And I walk in, and there's a guy there. And my mom's face is swollen. And I said, what's wrong? These kids are tricky. And I figured if I had played stupid, the cop would leave. And, and she, she said, shut your mouth. And I thought, this isn't going to work out the way I thought it was going to work out. So the cop sits me down, and he talks to me. And I fess up to it. Some people saw us because it was the middle of the day. Over several days, people saw us. And 
he said, I don't know why, but none of them want to press charges. And I was like, oh, I'm off the hook. And then I got grounded for a year. I remember it was a year, it was August 18th. The reason I know that is because it was the best birthday present my sister ever got. I was grounded to my room for a year. And they stuck to it for a year. And I remember going to high school and, again, not being super popular and really struggling with stuff. And I wanted to serve God, but I also wanted people to like me. And then my aunt sent me to Brownsville. And then my grandma took me to Brownsville. Brownsville, for those of you who don't know, was a big revival in Pensacola, Florida. We went a couple times. God totally wrecked my life. But we still needed some conflict because I wasn't sold. And so kind of walked away again. Um, when, I, when I came back from Brownsville, I had lots of opportunities to go speak and share at youth groups and at church and at all this stuff, which seemed like a good idea. By the way, if you have opportunities to minister, do it, but make sure that you're aware of the aftermath. There are ugly people out there, especially if you're a kid. I remember one time I was here and I was sharing about sin and walking away from sin and there was a, a, a youth leader at the time that stood up while I was talking and just tore me apart because I would feel guilty. That's a direct quote. It was awful. I, I, I thought I was doing good. And I remember lots of attacks like that, not just here, but everywhere. Um, and then, you know, there was a situation that happened, it did happen here, that... I walked away from God completely. I sat down my bass guitar, and I walked out the door. And I didn't come back for some time. I actually moved to Seattle. Most of you have heard this story, but it's important because I want you to know my love story. I moved to Seattle, and my mom wanted me to call churches and get involved in church. And my grandma, if you, I mean, it's my grandma. She won't stop until you do. So I learned really quickly that Seattle's an amazing place because they had voicemail way before we did, and nobody answered their phone. So I could honestly say I tried to call, and no one responded. I would leave messages. No churches called me back because I didn't leave a number. And so I called this one church. The name of the church was North Seattle Christian Fellowship. And I talked to a guy named Scott. He was the head of the music there. And I told him, listen, I don't even want to come to your church. I just promised my mom that I would call. So here I am because my mom's boy. And I didn't want my mom mad at me again. So um, he's like, that's okay, man. I don't want you to come. I'm like, I like this guy. He goes, do you want to go to lunch? I was like, yes, because I'm super lonely. Because I live in Seattle and I know no one. So yeah, let's go to lunch. So we went to lunch and hung out. Super nice guy. Next week we went to the movies and hung out. Super nice guy. Next week I went to his house or something. We went to a Mariners game. We did all this stuff together. Scott was an amazing guy. And one day he was like, dude, super bad news. Our drummer broke his ankle. Is there any way the church can hire you to come play the drums? Not a stellar drummer. It's Seattle. Like the heart of music. I was like, yeah, man, I'll come and play. 50 bucks a week, sure. So I went and played drums, and I spent all this time with, with Scott and 
then he introduced me to this band called Foolish Souls, and they needed some security, and that's what I did for a living over there. So I did some security for them um, and ended up becoming super good friends with them and going to birthday parties and hanging out and going, you know, doing, the, doing stuff. They didn't need security. Stupidest thing ever in hindsight. They didn't need security. They weren't popular. Nobody recognized them when we went into a room. But they paid me to be there, or most likely the church paid me to be there. And see, what that was was people starting to deposit and build community, something that I didn't understand. Um, no one was ugly to me. Now, this church was a huge church, four services a Sunday, massive church. Later on, I found out the drummer was asked to step down for a little while. Never broke his ankle. Scott knew that what I needed was an excuse to get back into church. And so Scott started, started a domino effect that was going to later become a really big deal. But I tried one more time. I moved back over here. While I was in Seattle, I met a girl. Um, her name was Rachel. And I met her and just really liked her. And so she lived in Portland. And so I moved to Portland, and we moved in together. And she had four kids, and I was 20-ish. So I moved into a house with four kids, and um, I loved those kids, and I loved them. And uh, I still think about the kids. And, you know, the relationship was going pretty well. Considering I was playing house, it was going pretty well. And then uh, one day I came home from work, and Rachel's ex-husband was there, and they were in the bedroom. And I grabbed my stuff, and I threw it in the car, and I headed back to my mom. And I remember driving through the dowels, and I screamed at God and said, why can't I just be normal? Why? Why do you have to mess up my life? I just want to be like everybody else. And there was no answer. That's how I felt. Right there, what, what that little kid is doing. I mean, I felt I was throwing a full-on tantrum in my car. That was supposed to be funny. It was much funnier than you guys, your guys' response. So I come back, and, you know, eventually I meet Charity, and we get married, and life was not good for six years and then the last seven and a half years have been amazing and that's not really part of my story it is but it isn't for the sake of time it isn't today um and then i remember being a lukewarm christian i've talked to you guys about this before because there's two options you can either be a thermostat or you can be a thermometer Lukewarm is nothing more than the temperature of a room. So if you measure the temperature of a room and match it, you're a lukewarm Christian. But a thermostat sets the temperature. So when you walk into the room, does the atmosphere shift because of the presence that you're carrying? Or do you shift to match the atmosphere? And I shifted to match the atmosphere. And Charity and I went, we, we'd went to churches and we'd been on staff and we did youth ministry and we did all this stuff and it was good it was really good i still have contact with a lot of the kids are now adults 
that, that I, was, I worked with back then. It was amazing. And we tried Hope Chapel, and I hated it because it felt an awful lot like Cream Ridge. And Cream Ridge had a lot of, because I hadn't forgiven, Cream Ridge stood for a lot of not good things. And so we went a couple weeks, and then we left, and we tried something else. And we tried several other, we ended up landing in a church for a while, but we were never at peace. And so we went back to Hope Chapel, and um, Chris Babb was there, and he was rapping. And if you know Chris Babb, he was here. He was vibrating and just, he's a great guy, but he, he reminded me of Cream Ridge. And so I told Charity no. And so we left and we landed in another church and we didn't feel at peace. And I said to Charity, I go, you know what? I'm gonna have, we're gonna have to go back and try Hope Chapel for an extended period of time. I'd had a run in with the pastor earlier in that week. He remembered my name, my wife's name, my son's name, everything from just a couple of meetings. And I really liked the guy. I was like, why do I have to like him? If I didn't like him, then I wouldn't have to be part of this church. So I said, we're gonna try for an extended time. Um, I'm still on staff at Hope Chapel, and we're still in that extended period. It's been about four years now. And um, so I go there, and on the way there, I told Charity I felt like my life was in chaos. I said, I just feel like just pages have been thrown everywhere, is what I told her. And this lady, who most of you know as Kimberly, um, her name now is Alexandria or Andy um, Peters, she walks up, to, walks up to Charity and I and said, I have a word for you. And I was like, oh, good. Cream Ridge. <laughs> right? So, so she says, I just, I saw, and she's never met us. She knows never, she never met us here when she came here. She's never met us. She said, first of all, there's something about you guys in music. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you can pull that out of a hat. And there's a, there's a chance you're going to get that right. Everyone thinks, if you've seen American Idol, everyone thinks they can sing. So, so then she said, but I was sitting watching you guys during worship, and I just saw like this book, and the pages just got tore out and were thrown everywhere. But then I saw God pick it up and put it back together and say, your book is whole. And I was like, oh, this lady's on to something. Good. So it was good. And so we continued going. Fast forward to last year in April. I'm still a lukewarm Christian. Um, Charity and I have just, after three years, decided to join the worship team. And uh, they played a video of a conference called Azusa Now. And Azusa Now was in L.A. It was to commemorate the 112th anniversary of the Azusa Street Revival. So this big thing that a lady in the church was going to go to with her kids and I leaned over to Charity and said, I have to go. And Charity said, okay, we'll clean out the savings account or whatever if you feel like you have to. And so I, I was like, I just, I mean, it's expensive. I've got airfare, I've got hotel, I've got car, I've got food, I've got, what am I gonna do? And long story short, by the end of that day, everything was paid for. Um, the pastors walked up and handed me $500 and then somebody else paid for my airfare. And so the 500 paid for my hotel, and then somebody else paid for, I, I hadn't vocalized that I wanted to go to this. And so I went, and I told you guys about the story 
or about everything that happened there, so we're not going to live in that section of my story. And I came back and I wrote a letter to Justice that I've told you guys about before, but in that letter, when he turns 18, he's already heard this, this sentence in it, but I told him, I said, we're only two months out from Azusa, but you mark my words, that was the moment that changed everything. See, because my love story had been going on since I was three, and I knew what the voice of God sounded like, I knew what the presence of God felt like, and then I got around a group of, I, I, I met a man who was Jesus to me and didn't care so much about me going to his church, but rather that I have relationship and didn't go for the jugular vein, but rather just deposited in me. Because if he would have went for the jugular, I would have been gone. I didn't want the jugular. Ugly things happened to me last time I was at church. I didn't want that to happen again. But he deposited into me, and then I still didn't go my own way, but God started to stir up in me where I identified that I wasn't normal like everybody else that wasn't serving God, and that I couldn't live the life everyone else seemed to live successfully because I was different. And then fast forward to Hope Chapel, and Azusa needed to happen for me. Brownsville needed to happen, but Azusa needed to happen for me. Nothing extravagant happened to other than my knee was healed. There were no feelings. I didn't get all warm and gooey. It was raining in an outdoor arena for 17 hours. It was a 17-hour service, 14-hour service. It was morning to night. I saw healings. I saw prophetic words. I saw stuff, but nothing ooey-gooey happened to me. But when I got home, something inside of me had shifted. And when I started thinking about all those things, I realized that that was my love story. And so, Revelations 12, 11, because got to get some Bible in here somewhere. Otherwise, it's not a real sermon, right? Revelations 12, 11 says this. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. And I started thinking about testimonies that I've heard. Testimonies of deliverance, testimonies of healing, testimonies of wooing. And I started thinking, this is how we defeat him. This is how we do it. It's not that striving thing that we talk about that when we go into spiritual warfare, we put up our our fists and we're on the defensive and we're just ready for Satan to attack and we're going to come at him at everything we got because the Bible doesn't say sit and wait. It says the kingdom of God forcefully advances. That scripture that says the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The actual translation is the kingdom of God suffers violence but forcefully advances. So we move forward. We never stand our ground. We're constantly moving forward. We know that the, the armor of the Lord, the the spiritual armor that we're given has nothing on the back because we're never meant to retreat and we're never meant to turn around. We're always meant to be moving forward. So I started thinking about that and I thought, how many things have I heard that like, get me all excited, right? When you hear a testimony of a healing, don't you get excited? And also that little whispering voice in the back of your head that says, were they faking it? That goes through your mind too, right? Especially if you don't know them. So here's a, a stupid one. I was at Azusa, saw several people get up out of wheelchairs. 
And then in my brain, I'm like, yeah, but, yeah they're faking it. Now, this is towards the end. This is when Bethel has came out. They're closing this sucker out after 15 hours. And I'm like, I bet you they're faking it. Then I thought, how stupid is that? Why would they sit in a wheelchair for 15 hours just to trick me? I don't think they care about me that much to trick me, to be honest. But it always pops in your head. If it doesn't ever pop in your head, bless you. You're either not thinking critically or God is protecting you. But this is what I can tell you, is that it defies reason. So we hear a testimony and it gives us hope. It gives us excitement, right? We've talked about that before. It gives us, oh my gosh, I, if you can do it, I can do it. It sets precedence. But actually the word testify in the New Testament, one of the definitions is to do again. So when you say, when you say I'm giving, I'm going to testify, I'm going to give my testimony, really what I'm saying is God's going to do it again. That's what I'm proclaiming. When it says that they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and, their wor and the word of their testimony, what they were doing is they defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by doing it again. So it's much more than just, let me tell you my story. Mark 5.19 says something really good. And I just got to turn to it. One of these days I'm going to put the scripture on my notes so I don't have to turn to everyone and talk in between finding it. Because, see, I just totally stopped looking. 519 says this. And he did not... Per okay, so let's back up. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him. Jesus did not allow the man to come with him. He said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy for you. The important part of the deliverance was not just that the man was delivered from a demon, but that he was to go home and tell his friends and family. Why? Because he'll do it again. We, it's testimony. When somebody gets on a stand in a courtroom and testifies, they're giving a, an account of what, what's happened. We've always been told we're just called to be witnesses, to just give an account of what we've seen and heard. Have you ever heard that? That's not true. That is powerless Christians trying to give definition to why they don't operate in what God promised they could operate in. It's not true. We're called to do much more than just give an account of what we've seen and heard. We are called to be him on this earth. But we're in court, and let's say something has been overturned, or the example I used last time I talked about this was um, internet cyberbullying, and how if you cyberbully somebody and they commit suicide, you can actually be held liable for that. Um, and that's super exciting for those of us in the mental health profession because a lot of it goes on. Here's the thing. So now that has been decided that it, it, it's lot that or that that person was held liable for the, the death of this other person. So what happens is, is when there's another case that comes up and they step into the courtroom and the attorneys start to argue about whether they should be held accountable or not, what the defense or I'm sorry, the prosecutor will say, but your honor, it's already been done once. There's precedence here. The precedence is in the case of blah, blah, blah versus blah, 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 this happened. And so then the judge says, oh, there's precedence. That's a good argument. Why? Because now we're saying it's happened once. We're going to do it again. 
when, when we testify, what we're saying is, God, there's precedence. You've done it once, so you'll do it again. Some of the ways that we, we need to remember, and I'm not good at this, I, I want to be, so want to be, I think about it every week and then I don't do it, is we, we need to keep track of the words that God's given to us, like over us. And then we also need to keep track of the words that God has fulfilled over us. Bill Johnson and Chris Vallotton are the two, two of the main leaders at Bethel. And Chris was telling a story in a sermon not too long ago that they had had two weeks of just a ridiculous schedule, like no days off and services day and night, night and day, just constant. And they finally got a Saturday off. And, and that Sunday, Chris said, so Bill, what did you do with your Saturday off? And Bill's like, man, I just read through prophecies that have been spoken over me. And Chris was like, really? I watch TV. <laughs> and, and the point of that was that Chris was like, there's something to that, that even in his downtime, he continues to build himself up. And, and Bill said that when he takes what God has then my problem, and then what God's promised me to do, that he'll do. So the words God's given me, the problem, and the words that have already been fulfilled. When you sandwich the problem between what he's promised you and what he's done, the problem is no longer a problem. What is he doing? He's testifying. Bill's testifying in his own life. This is what you've done. This is what you've promised. So I know today, this is what's going to come out of it. One of the things that I really want more than anything is a sustained move of God. When we watch or look through history, and someday we'll go through it. Every move of God is halted by man's inability to continue it. It's never God that says, I'm done moving. It's man who, everyone says steps in the way. I don't think that's it. He sits down. He stops saying, God, this is what you did yesterday, so I'm planning on it happening again today. Right? We look at him as a father. If, Dan, if Chris or Travis, when they were children, because we're supposed to come to God as little children. So when, when Chris or, or Travis were little children, and yesterday you played football and said, we're going to do it tomorrow, the next morning when they got up and they were excited, would you have said, nope, we're not going to do it? Why? Because you made a promise, and there's precedence. You fulfilled the promise yesterday, and then you said, there's even more to come tomorrow. And so tomorrow, you're not going to let your kids down and say, you know what, I actually don't want to. So God is the same way. See, he, he fulfilled a promise today, but he says tomorrow, there's even more, even greater things, even bigger things come tomorrow. And so when tomorrow comes, well, all we have to say is, but dad, you promised. You promised me. I just want to spend time with you. Every time justice says those words and he's not trying to manipulate me, every time he's got my undivided attention when he's not trying to manipulate me because he's really wanting on the computer or whatever. 
Why? Because if his heart's cry is to spend time with me, as a dad, it's in my nature to stop what I'm doing and spend time with him. Because that's his desire. When you say to God, I just want to spend time with you, and you're not trying to manipulate him because you can't pay your bills, but just because you want to spend time with him, it's in his nature to drop everything and say, come on, come here and snuggle with me for a few minutes. I got a few minutes. It's all you're going to need for today, I promise. There's just one touch, and you'll be made whole. So when we share our testimony what we're sharing is our love story. We know that God cares because in Matthew 10, 30, it says that he, he knows even the number of hairs on your head. I'm a pretty good dad. I don't have a stinking clue how many hairs are on his head. I don't have even a clue. Or in Luke 15, 4, it says that a good shepherd or a good father will leave the 99 sheep to go after the one that strayed away. Or we can look at Todd White and Enrique or Kevin and, and see that, that God will single out one person in order to bring them back into the flock. That's a good dad, right? Does anyone in here have a ridiculous number of children? I don't think so today. Well, this is what I can tell you. I can tell you that if you have four well-behaved children and one child that's kind of doing their own thing, who gets the most attention? Why? Because it's, that's true, but it's because it's our nature. It's actually built instinctually inside of us that the one struggling is the one we go to. We don't worry about you right now because you guys are okay. I'm right here. Because this is the one that's struggling today. And tomorrow, if you're struggling, then you guys are fine for right now. I need to put this fire out. Why? Because it's in our nature to leave the 99. Because we're created in God's own image. And so when we, when we share our love story, what we have to understand is that we are the representation of God on earth. That is our job today. So we're supposed to be a mirror of Jesus. Jesus was a mirror of the Father, right? I mean, really, he was the Father, but it's a different teaching for a different day. Um, what's your love story? Because here's the deal. Your story is the key to unlock someone else's breakthrough. So figure out what your story is. Because you may not unlock someone in this house's Breakthrough today, but Chrissy, we don't know who's getting the CD. Grandma wants copies to mail all over the universe. It could be the key to unlock his breakthrough. We don't know. But our, our, our story was never created so that only we enjoy it. Our love story was never formed so that we can keep it quiet. Right? When, when, you're, when you're in a marriage relationship and your husband or wife does something amazing for you, you want to tell everybody about it. So why do we keep what Jesus did so quiet? Because we do. 
because we're worried of judgment. We're worried that we don't have anything to share. We're worried that my story isn't as good as someone else's story. I don't know what Charity shared for sure yesterday, but she's not here, so I can share this, this about her. Um, she wouldn't care, I promise. She used to always tell me, because she was a, a perfect child growing up. She didn't have a testimony. My, my testimony is not anything good because I've never really done anything wrong. I'm like, that's not true. I have a list of things you've done wrong. Um, but see, her story unlocked people's breakthrough that have went through the same type lifestyle, pastor's kid, held to certain standards, all this stuff that she grew up with. I'm trying to stay as vague as possible, but her story reaches somebody that my story does not. Your love story unlocks someone else's breakthrough. So if we have a light and we hide it under a bush, bushel, then all there is is darkness. But in fact, it says to shine for all to see. And listen, if I have a bright light shining, I don't just look at a bright light and think, oh, how beautiful. Do you? I walk over to the bright light and see what's shining. I want to know what's making that light so bright. I don't just, it's a bright light. Whoop-de-doo. Why is it so bright? What is so special about you, Claudia, that you're so bright? But it's, it's Jesus. But what about him? The world has heard it's Jesus for way too long without an explanation of what about him. What about Jesus? It's Jesus. Yeah. NyQuil is what it is. That's what, I mean, because people have heard it. People have heard it's Jesus. Uh, the Lord has touched my life. When you use the language, everyone write this down, the language that you're using is called Christianese. Nobody but us speaks it. You don't go to India and speak English and expect everyone to understand you. So why do you go to the world and speak, speak Christianese, and if they don't understand you, then it's their problem? You're not speaking their language. Jesus touched me. That sounds weird to anyone who does not understand that phrase. As a matter of fact, it doesn't just sound weird to some people. It can trigger some issues. What does that mean? Jesus touched you. Or, and I'm about done. Because I'm challenging you guys to tell your story to someone this week. That's really what this is about. Or a person told me that I worked with years ago, the phrase they hate that church people use all the time is, let's do life together. It's a very popular phrase. In just It just basically means let's be friends. But we have to have some really confusing phrase that makes you think that I have to commit to something that's uncomfortable. Or, or it's the Holy Ghost. Well, if you turn on A&E, you can watch Ghost Hunters. And so ghost is not necessarily a positive word. So why are we using these words? Again, are you in India and speaking English? Because you're going to get the same results if you're in the world and, and say these phrases that don't make sense. 
So it's not saying that the Holy Ghost isn't something that we need to talk about. We do. But who is he? Not saying that Jesus doesn't touch us. We need to say that. But what does that mean? How did he touch you? Because when I think Jesus touched me, what did that do for you? Anything? (laughs) What does it mean? What does it mean that Jesus touched you? Right? Or I use this phrase all the time, and that wrecked me. What does that mean? Well, to us, it means that just transformed my life. But wrecks aren't actually a positive thing. Right? So my challenge when you tell your story is tell it in a way that people understand. If you can't do it, get an interpreter. Find someone who speaks the language of the people and let them help you say it the way you need to say it. Because your, your, your love story will unlock somebody's breakthrough, but if the key doesn't fit in the hole, it doesn't matter if it would turn the mechanism if it got inside. Father, I thank you that in each of us there's a love story. There's a love story forming, forming, 